Alan. How are you doing? Pretty good, thanks. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. You're on the pretty much opposite side of the pond <laughs> in that big ball, right? That's exactly right. Uh, just uh, north of Sydney, Australia, by about 160 kilometers in a place called Newcastle, which is right on the coast. And as I saw, you're actually Tuesday morning as we speak. Uh, that's right. Well, actually, just passing lunchtime or coming on to just after 12 o'clock at the moment. So, so we're you're on uh, uh, Monday, so welcome to the future. <laughs> ex- <laughs> exactly. Uh, and, and so for anyone that listens, uh, I'm 8 o'clock at night uh, in Eastern, well, uh, North America, Quebec, and um, and so yeah, as Alan says, we're having a conversation with the future right now. Um, um, let's start off by uh, pretty much a, a question that has been recurring in the past year or so. Um, well, I've asked you where you're located, but how has been the pandemic going for you so far? Well, for me personally, because my business is all about uh, relationships, the pandemic has been a boom for my business because I'm now connected to people all over the world that uh, in larger numbers than I've ever been connected before. Pandemic's been dreadful from the point of view of the uh, lost lives and uh, it has affected a lot of people's uh, mental health issues, but it's another reason why my business has thrived because so many people have needed those skills. Have you seen a rise in, you know, like kind of the precarity of uh, mental health and uh, like a rise in, you know, like in, in anxiety and panic? And have you seen it? A uh, massive increase in it. We've found that, you know, we're social beings. And when we lock people away and tell them that they've got to socially distance, I really hate that term. Every time I heard it, I cringed. Because, yes, we have to physically distance from each other to uh, minimise the transmission of uh, the uh, of COVID. But to tell people you've got to be socially uh, distanced, that's uh, really caused a lot of problems. And people locked in at home were now in an environment that they weren't used to. They used to get, you know, not have had problem, uh, pressures at uh, work, but at least they had the time to uh, travel from home to work. But now the days got seem to be get longer. People are putting more time into their work. They've got the kids around. They've got their partner around. And you know, there was no uh, respite from anybody. And because of that, a lot of people, uh, the situation got worse. In Australia, leading up to it, we had about uh, eight people a day were committing suicide. And when you think that, well, our population compared to uh, uh, yours or even America, like America's got the same physical landmass that we've got, but we've only got 23 million people compared to their 300 uh, million uh, plus. So we had uh, uh, eight people a day to take their lives and six of those to be men is quite a, a huge number. But then we hit the pandemic and that escalated. Mental health issues have gone up dramatically mainly because of the isolation and the uh, frustrations that have been coming from it. And do, do we have yet numbers to kind of support that? Not as yet. All we're getting is uh, reports, say, from the police, for instance, who have said they've had more uh, calls on domestic violence than they've had before. Uh, 
I run a group called the Campfire Project where um, we get people to phone in from all over the world, come into the, it's a Facebook group, and share their stories. And every conversation I've been having with people, they've talked about how their, uh, the pressures on, in their life have increased since the, uh, uh, the pandemic. So we're getting a lot of people talking about it, but no actual real firm stats because the stats usually take a while to be compiled. Absolutely. Yep. It is, um, you know, like it, 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 it's not funny, but you know, like it's, it's, uh, I, I'm so curious about it. You know, like that there's, um, I've asked that question many, many times and, um, it all gravitates around either people being inf- impacted themselves by it. Right. You know, like I, I, I've told the story many times about, you know, like the, um, it it developed a sense of being comfortable at home. I mean, mm. it should be, you know, like everyone should be comfortable at home. But um, I was telling um, my 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 listeners about the um, <clears throat> it was an, a, an anniversary, and um, we went for dinner, mm. and there was some subtle sigh of relief when I got back to my car with my wife because I knew I was driving back home mm. and I immediately told my wife about it. I said, it's not that I was, I wasn't, I wasn't comfortable, but I can't help it. But to have that, that kind of that feeling, which is kind of the, almost like the shadow of a feeling. Mm, that's right. And I'm not an anxious individual. I'm not, um, uh, you know, I can be called an introvert and I can be called, um, somewhat someone that likes to stay home but it that it was different um and it you know i i all i had was thoughts for anyone that already had you know or was predisposed to um anxiety or panic or or um fear of you know like or any phobias uh, associated with you know like the crowds and 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 the outside world and um that's you know it, it, this event um must be just um an amplifier to these to these fears and and phobias well that's right you feel that if you've you know we know that so many people have been working from home and uh, have been uh, isolated from everybody else like if we look at melbourne they're the um lockdown capital of the world they had well over 200 days of uh, lockdown uh, in the year and it's a case of when you look at that you go well people get start to living a new life uh, uh, style when they're living at home and now the biggest anxiety is you know going out and uh, socializing with people so when you do go out a lot of people are going to be you know thankful for the getting home again so getting away from those pressures because we just got you know we spend time doing something we learn by rote learning we do things over and over we then set up a new pattern and that's virtually what happened when people were isolated and at home you set up a new pattern where you're only communicating with those people around you and by the way that has some pressures stresses as well when we're in that situation but then uh, to then come out of that and go back to the workplace that's definitely going to cause a lot of uh, angst for people Plus fear, you know, like mm. on, on almost like a professional and corporate level, um, based on pretty much like almost like on, on the human right chart, 
I I see, you know, like I have a hard time seeing how um, any companies could actually impose or force someone to come back to the office. That's it. Well, now, and the thing is, this is where there's going to be a lot of issues coming up because you've got people who uh, don't want to go back to the office because leading up to the uh, pandemic, the stats were showing from the um, uh, Gallup research that 87% of people were disengaged in their work. They didn't want to be at work. A few years earlier, it was uh, 48% didn't want to be at work and 18% were actively telling everybody they didn't want to be at work. It was like a bit of rust sitting in the vehicle, and if you don't uh, clean it out, the thing is the rust increases, and that's virtually what happened. So in 2018, it went from 66% in total to 87%. Then we get hit by the pandemic, and so uh, I think the latest stats uh, that the research was showing that 80% of people didn't want to go back to the workplace full time, and about uh, 17% didn't want to ever go back to the workplace. And this is one of the reasons we had the big worry about the uh, the great uh, resignation, as they're calling it, because people weren't happy at work. The leadership was fairly poor. We've had, when they talk about leadership training, most of it that I'd seen was more management training, treating people like resources and not treating them as assets. And the whole thing is when you've got staff, you uh, train them so they can leave, but you treat them in a way in which they want to stay. And that hasn't been happening. And then when the pandemic hit, people were working from home, those that were able to work from home because of the you know, white-collar workers, et cetera. And uh, so then they have to go back to the office. Well, they've set up a new routine at home. It took them a while to get past the problems with homeschooling the kids and shuffling all those different commitments that they had. But they got themselves into a routine, and now they don't want to go back to the workplace. And the businesses are realising that, we do need to socialise. You need, need you do need to have your teams coming together. So we need to have a hybrid uh, form of uh, uh, workplace uh, now, where you spend a certain amount of time at work and a certain amount of time still working from home, so you can enjoy the the extra time, uh, but at the same time not taking that extra time that you're saving in travel and putting that into uh, extra hours of uh, work for your employer. So. We need to keep the performance levels up, and that does mean that people need to socialise. And therefore, getting them back into the office is important, but at the same time, improving the leadership qualities of our managers and uh, at the same time, giving those people that flexibility to uh, still enjoy some of that time working from home. Yes, and 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 there's um, definitely people that will, um, that it's going to take you know, a lot of time, not because it's their preference, but because they they don't feel secure mm. in in an open environment with other um, co-workers around them. Mm. Um, you talked about, you know, like the social distance, which, by the way, is weird because, you know, like we've changed, you know, like the past 10 years has changed completely what our social contacts are. You know, like mm. most of them are virtual now. So, you know, like using the social distancing to talk about physical distance mm. is somewhat odd and, and ironic, you know, maybe because, it, you know, these advices comes from older people that, you know, haven't yet realized that, you know, I'd say you know, like uh, the majority of our, of our social contacts are virtual. Mm -hmm. um, 
so you know it's kind of a you know like you you made me realize that it's it it was it is indeed you know like a, a an odd um expression to use um but but on top of it you know like we're not even in the postmortem of that situation of the pandemic we're not even past you know like that the the you know like it, it's it's not even over yet yeah. um so it's gonna like i said you know like i, I have a feeling that it's gonna take a while for uh an employer to say well um i want you back and you know into the office and um and and just bite it you know um I, I actually just don't see it yet. Mm. You know, so if we've got the wiser uh, employers are going to uh, sit down and negotiate it and realise that you know, uh, people are social beings, they do need to come into the office. One of the issues that uh, we've had when people are in the office, KPIs and other things that we put on people quite often, the uh, pressures of that uh, are quite strong. And so those that were managing their staff and not leading them, would stand over their shoulders and uh, the, the staff didn't take them long to work out, well, what do I have to do to uh, keep the, the boss off my back? What are the parts I can do and what parts can I ignore? And quite often the parts they ignore were a necessary part of the job. But because they were being um, micromanaged, they uh, only did what they had to do and they were always at a point of, you know, at stress levels, worrying about who's looking over their shoulder. You know, I've always realised if you treat your staff the same as you would a uh, a family member or a, even a, a love partner, what it comes down to, everybody feels you know, feels love when they feel that they have a place that they belong, that they contribute, that, that they are uh, respected and uh, uh, they're valued. It's no different in the workplace. The only difference that I keep saying to people between uh, looking at how you treat your loved ones, you know, your, your love partner, for instance, uh, to uh, compared to those at work is that uh, there should be no sex at work. You know, the rest of it is exactly the same thing, treating them in a way in which that person feel, feels valued. If you do that, because we hear all the time, all these coaches telling everybody who's running a business, you need to work on your business. How in the world do you work on your business when you've got to micromanage your staff because none of them want to be there? But if you treat them in a way in which they want to be there, the end result is that they will then be self-motivated. They will be the ones who keep the business running and profitable so you can then go and work on your business. So you've got to have people in the business working in it without supervision so that you can have all that time free to go and manage and uh, uh, grow the business further, work on those aspects of the business. So manage yourself and not the staff. Let the staff lead them in a way in which they manage themselves. And this is one of the biggest challenges, and I think, the uh, great resignation that we're hearing about today is a uh, um, uh, proof of uh, that not having been done in the past. Yes, it is. Um, yeah, you no, know, we, you know, it's a it's a bit of a shit show to be honest. You know? <laughs> exactly, it certainly is. See, the other thing is too for those that are in that um, position of uh, leadership. Uh, and they're worried about staff leaving and everything else. There's two other things that are coming out of this up. They're following on. One is they're talking about the great cancellation. And one of the issues there is that uh, they're worried now that those that do leave their jobs and if they're angry enough with the employers, have been treated in a way in which they've left uh, feeling very uh, uh, much put out, 
that things like TikTok and uh, LinkedIn and Facebook will start being used to name and shame those employers. That's going to have a massive impact on the um, profitability of those companies. And then they're talking about, oh, yes, but a lot of those people will find that they can't find a job elsewhere and they'll come back. So we're hearing them calling them boomerangs. So uh, they go away, they'll come back again, and people go, yes, well, we've got them under our thumb then because when they come back, we'll sort them right out. Well, you're going to make your, your situation even worse again. As I said before, if you uh, treat your people in a way in which they uh, feel valued and everything else, train them so that they can leave, but treat them in a way so they don't want to leave. And if they do uh, leave because, well, I know in uh, Melbourne, for instance, you can't find a chef down there for love or money. They've all, because of all the lockdowns, all the chefs had to move on to other careers to be able to survive. And now they're not going back to that profession because they don't know what's going to happen with COVID. Are we going to end up with a new strain? Are we going to get locked down again? So they've just moved on. And so when it comes to uh, those staff that do go back, you have the doors open in a way in which they can come back in, feel valued, and you treat them the right way so that then they're even going to be even more loyal than they could have been before. So there's it all comes back at the moment. There's a real lesson here for us to really look at the way in which we uh, communicate with people and how we build relationships. Because end of the day, relationships are the foundation of everything we do. And without a relationship, you have nothing. You can't raise your kids. You can't find a, a love partner. You won't keep the partner you've got. You have problems at work, the uh, stresses and the mobbing and other things that go on, all the arguments. You've got to be able to build relationships and that's what's come out of the pandemic is the need to be able to do that and do it in a way in which you're looking after the other person because you do that, it will always come back to you. Yes. I mean, yeah, again, you know, like there, there's the, it's, it, it has amplified uh, or accelerated something that was coming and that was kind of inevitable at some point. You know, um, yeah. Yeah, well, it's been coming through, you know, gradually it's been building and building. I put a post out on LinkedIn a couple of uh, years ago, well before the pandemic, and it was just a picture of uh, Richard Branson who I found on the internet with a statement next to it, take care of your employees and they'll take care of your business. It's that simple. And I put a post up and said, well, if it is that simple, why is it that 87% of people are disengaged? And I waited for the reactions. That uh, started getting, um, I think it had about, uh, ended up with about 13,000 shares by the time it had run its course. But before it did, I was getting a lot of comments from people having a go at their employers and employers complaining about their uh, staff. And I put another one up, another picture of Richard Branson with the same statement but leading into it was uh, customers don't come first, employees come first. And then that statement again. And I said, yes, it is that simple and this is how you do it. Well, that was like I'd opened the birdcage up and uh, thrown the cat in. There were feathers flying left, right and centre, people having a go at each other with well over 100,000 interactions on the posts I put up and it pointed out that there was a massive problem there and everyone's going, but you've got to look after your customers. Well, you look after your customers by looking after your staff. So your staff who are dealing with the customers in a better mood and happier and everything else and want to look after your customers. So when you put your, your staff first, you're actually putting your customers first. It's a paradox, but it's a simple one when you stop and think about it. And that's what we need to get to the people in business at the moment to understand that 
So if they do need their staff back into the workplace, the staff will come in and feel uh, that they belong there and they won't have the problems that they've had before with the micromanagement. There was a, I don't know if you had, uh, you know, like the, the, the opportunity to read the, um, the Zappos, uh, Zappos founder uh, biography, uh, which he talks about kind of the Zappos culture. Mm. It was a uh, e-commerce retail for shoes. Um, and it got purchased by Amazon for 1.2 billion. Uh, unfortunately, the um, you know kind of the the conclusion of you know like the founder's life was catastrophic. You know, like it was it was really really bad. You know, like um, he did well. He actually people suspect that he probably killed himself with the um, 1.2 billion. Mm. Uh, but the book was written before that, and. Uh, the philosophy behind it is um, every new employee had to at least do a day um, of you know each and every of the of the important roles within the organization. Mm. So so a CFO had to spend a day on the on the phone um, doing customer service. That's it. Then there was uh, you know then there was a uh, uh, you know like the hiring process would take a long time and there would be some some kind of a cash bonus if you realize yourself that you know uh you weren't a good fit for the company mm. so there was a a few grand you know three four thousand uh, dollars maybe five that you know like if if you realized within that training and mm. and that you know new hire um training boot camp that you know like you felt that you know like you weren't a fit for the company you would just cash the check and leave. Um, and uh, they were, you know, like they were the f one of the first company to uh, put their headquarter in, in Vegas. Uh, but the old Vegas, you know, like so they would revitalize the, um, that, you know, like that region in, 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 in Nevada. Um, but it was, it is such an interesting um, reading because um, it's, it's all about, you you hire someone not for the uh the role that you hire him for but for uh the qualities that th it, this individual has to add to your company that's it it's always on the attitude it's you know you can always train people with skills and even if there's a particular role that they're not uh, gifted to for because it's not part of their personality you can always find a role that uh, suits them I love the idea of um, having all the managers and uh, operate in the uh, those positions of the people that they are managing so that they understand the workflow and everything else because coming in and just telling everybody what to do but not understanding what it is that they do makes it extremely uh, difficult to lead them correctly and it certainly causes a lot of problems with the people that you're supposed to be leading. So to be able to do that for a starter is uh, absolutely important. At the same time, if you bring somebody in the organisation, they realise, well, okay, yes, I can do the job, but the culture here is not uh, suiting my personality. Then to be able to for that person to move on, yes, giving them a cash uh, uh, check where they can uh, use that money to move on to another uh, career. But we are, but you're giving so much away, and they go, well, what would be worse if they try and hang on because they're not fitting the role? That's going to cost you a lot of money. 
is going to cost you in productivity. That person then is not going to be happy and that's going to affect the other people around them. So even a $5,000 check is uh, probably a, a great saving to the organisation to give that to somebody and let them go than to have them stay and uh, infect everybody else uh, with their um, unhappiness within the role. Because we saw that, as I said before, in about 2016, it was 66% disengaged and two years later it was uh, 87% disengaged. And that happened mainly because of the people who were upset and didn't want to be there uh, initially telling everybody else they didn't want to be there. They just wore everybody else down and you you can be working in a place where you're enjoying your work, but if everybody around you is complaining, it doesn't take long before you don't enjoy the job anymore. So to let those people go quickly is a very smart thing to do and to give them some cash to go and do it faster, even better. Uh, you know, like that's uh we could, you know, like th- this could be like a full blown episode all around, you know, like kind of the, um, the interaction or, or the attitude that, you know, like a, a, a company has to have um, with their employee, you know, like there, there's so much stuff you know, under, under that, that, that hood, you know, like there, there's, um, and you know, you see companies kind of losing, um, I worked for Microsoft and they were, um, you know, I was kind of post, I called that the post Balmer era, you know, like, so Steve Balmer was aggressive, was, you know, like quite, you know, like the, the old school salesy type of guy, you know, like, um, charismatic for for some people but for a lot you know like aggressive and and you know Mm. um way too much um with with you know the the promotion of satya natella um everything changed and they were trying to get back to being cool Mm. and they're working hard at you know at going back there um and it it is um an interesting uh conversation to have on you know like what's the process of that and how does um because you know like most of the senior leadership copycats mm. the the owner or the ceo right and and as you spread that attitude or or there's like a, a change or well a major change in the attitude and the approach um how long does it take before the employees um, perceives it, and um, and it takes a while. You know, like I, I can, I, you know, like I've seen it. You know, uh, well, there were still people when, yeah. Yeah, think about raising children. You know, children watch their parents, and depending on the parents' behavior, they uh, learn from that behavior. It's like a child who's been bullied at home will end up being a bully at school and elsewhere. We learn that behavior. So if you've got a boss who's aggressive then uh, the management around them will then feel that aggression and pass that aggression on to the levels beneath them. And that just keeps going down. People say, well, what about the the frontline people? Well, they take that home and they take it out on their spouse and they take it out on their kids. Everything's connected. This is what people don't realise. We we learn behaviours. We don't, you know, I always say to people, if what you're saying and what you're doing don't correlate, people will focus on what you're doing. You know, as I say, the words are not that important. The words got to correlate with what you're uh, doing, but people will focus on that side of it first. So if there's any mismatch, they'll always go with the nonverbals, what they're recognising, what they're seeing. 
And so the more you can change and be um, uh, keep your, your language and everything else in line, but also thinking, well, right, if I act this way, the people I'm doing this to are going to act that way to others. So people who treat others with respect generally find the people they've taught with respect, show that respect back to them, but also show it to the people around them as well. Everything is a learnt behaviour and we pass things on. So the more that somebody can uh, understand somebody, because I'm a profile, this is what I do. I teach people how to read other people, understand the other person's personality and also know their own personality and then change the way they like to be spoken to to match the way the other person needs to be spoken to. The moment you do that, you've got a connection with the other person and you do that uh, all the time you're talking to them, you'll find that you'll have loyalty as well and you will get their respect back. And this is where uh, companies that are using those skills are the ones who are making the most money. But people say, oh, well, why should I look after my staff when, you know, I give them a job, I pay them and that, you know, it's paying their bills, you know, they should be loyal to me. And I go, well, you know, if you treat them in a certain way, they'll respond in that way. So if you then treat them as though that they belong, that they have a place and everything else, they will then work harder to look after you. And if they do that and they're happier in their work, then they'll make more money for you. So as a business owner, you really need to know how to read your people. Each person is individually different to everybody else. I know there's a lot of psychometric profiling systems where you put people in boxes. Well, that's okay for you with getting an idea of where that person sits. But if you want to try, uh, show them true respect, you take them out of the box and you treat them as an individual in their own right who is uniquely different with different experiences to everybody else on the planet. And if you can connect with them in the way that they need to be spoken to, you're going to get their loyalty back, you're going to get their support, and when you ask them to do something, they're going to do it. And it changes the atmosphere within the organisation straight away. And with that trust, then if you have got a hybrid system where they're going to be working sometime from home, you can trust them to be working at home when they're there because they want to make sure they're doing the right thing by you. The same as if you've got a young child and you treat them in a way in which they feel that they're valued, they will go out of their way not to do the wrong thing. They teachers with students in class doing the same thing with these skills, connecting with a child, that child will go out of their way not to upset the teacher because the teacher is so respected because of the way they've taught, uh, uh, spoken to and treated the child. This is what people don't realise. It's whatever you put out, you're going to get back. So the more that you can connect with somebody and put out the right uh, uh, connections, the right uh, energies and everything else, you're going to get the positive response back. You yell at somebody, they're not going to smile at you unless they uh, think that you're less than them and the smile you'll get will be one of contempt, uh, not one of um, actual uh, true smiling. So that, I'm hoping this uh, is making sense to the people who are listening to uh, this podcast. The more that you actually follow that rule and know yourself but, but definitely know the other person, it's not a matter of we've heard it when we grew up. Uh, grew up. Treat others as you would have them treat you. That's okay when it comes to respect. But in communications and building rapport and getting things done, you treat others in the way that they would like you to treat them. So knowing how to speak to them in the way that they want to be spoken to, know how to treat them in the way that they want to be treated. You do that and every time you will have a stronger connection with them. Hmm. All right, Alan, let's get to know you. Um, 
maybe you want to rewind that tape life of you know like that tape story life of yours um and you know um i usually ask my guests to bring it to wherever you know le- milestone in their life that you know like they feel you know as define them as you know as as individual and human being um where 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 back would you bring me well at the moment i'm about to turn 70 so in my life there's been a lot of um uh, events that have uh, molded and changed the direction of my life but it, uh, for me and i'll make it fairly uh, simple here and very quick i started off at the uh, age of three my father died when i was three so i pretty much grew up as a loner all of my life i didn't have any male role models in fact the one male role model I had was my uh, uh, mother's sister's husband, so my uncle, uh, not a blood relation, but the married uh, uncle, who um, told my fiance at my engagement party she could do better than me. So I grew up very much alone and disconnected from people. This is where I, I realised that I needed to understand people. I didn't have the skills to do it because I didn't have any leadership around me, no uh, male role models. But uh, in my... Uh, uh, early 20s, the age of 23, I'd uh, been put in charge of a group of men who were all older than me. I was 23 and my second in charge was 38. The other men were older than me as well. And uh, I had to get them on side. So that was a big uh, shift for me to actually start to understand people. And that's where body language came in for me to understand that because that was the biggest thing that was around in those days that people were talking about. In the 80s, I got involved in psychometric profiling like Myers-Briggs and DISC and Enneagrams and uh, other profiling systems, and that gave me a little bit more understanding. It was putting people in boxes, but it still wasn't drawing me close to them. And in my uh, the 90s, I got involved with uh, NLP. I went through a um, uh, my first divorce, and I had three boys to raise on my own. They were three, four, and uh, sorry, four, eleven, and twelve years old. So with the three boys, having to get them on side and understand them. So that was a big uh, shift for me in my life. And uh, in my um, uh, late 30s, I got involved with the uh, surf club. And uh, sorry, with that, I was put in charge of people who had better skills than me. I'd only been in the surf club for a short period of time and I had to get them on side uh, because I'd been put in charge. So I'd gone from being the the youngest in employment to uh, being in the surf club where I was the the, um, same age but the least experienced and then raising three boys on my own. And after my second divorce, that's when I realised that was only a short marriage, I realised that I really need to understand people better and that's when uh, the face profiling came in for me. So the uh, facial features, it may sound a little bit woo-woo that they tell you your personality, but if you think about it, you lift weights. You're going to build muscles in your body. And if you, uh, uh, whatever you feel inside, you express outwardly. So that's where the, why the body language and the expressions on your face work. Put those two things together that when you're uh, uh, concentrating and thinking about things, you're going to pull expressions on your face. And those expressions are going to create ridges and crevices on your face. And so your face is a history of how you like to think and process. That's your personality, not your character, but your personality. It talks about, or shows me how you like to think and process, but not what you're thinking and processing. But once I've got that, I know how to change the way I like to be spoken to and then I know how to speak to you in the way that you want to be spoken to. 
And then I've got the body language and the expressions. They can give you the feedback. So now I've got your character. So whether I've read you right, whether there's something emotionally going on, and are you telling me the truth? And that's what I teach people to do. So you can see from my history, it's been uh, an accumulation of things that I've had to learn along the way, a lot of uh, angst, a lot of headaches. Uh, I went through depression when uh, in some of those areas. So there's not really any area that I can't speak on that I haven't either experienced myself or have been involved with other people going through it where I've been there to support them. And that's one of the things that I keep saying to people. There's a lot of things that will happen in your life. You may feel that sometimes they're more than you can carry. But uh, if you uh, think about it, and especially if you get the right support around you, there's nothing in this life that you uh, can't uh, uh, overcome. It's just a matter of finding the right resources. And that may be some skills or it might be other people around you to be part of you part of that process but if it's other people it just goes to prove you need those relationships because without it you have no uh, way of moving forward in life you can't raise children you can't find a partner you can't keep that partner you know you need to be able to relate to people in uh, business so you can see that all those things that have happened in my life have added to uh, me learning these skills that i now pass on to other people does um you, you told me about uh, some traumatic, uh, almost traumatic event uh, in your young life. You know, can 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 you oh, yeah. elaborate? So there's yeah. no, there's nothing on in my life that I'm ashamed of or that I won't talk about. Because <clears throat> at the end of the day, obviously I'll cover this first of all. If uh, anybody's feeling shame, my question I always ask them is, well, did you knowingly uh, know? Uh, make a, a bad decision at that time or did you use the information that you uh, made that uh, decision with and they say to me oh I, I used the information that I had at the time to make the decision I go okay you can regret the, the decision you made but don't have any shame for it because you can only have shame if you knew you were doing the wrong thing when you did something that was wrong so at the age of uh, nine I'd been uh, uh, what do you call it bullied at school I hated school. I couldn't wait to get home. And then when I got home, I spent all my time on my own. I had pets and I used to spend time with my cats and dogs. And uh, that was pretty much my life. And at the age of nine, I'd had enough. I didn't feel that I belonged at home where I, where I was living with my mother and sister. And I decided one day that I had enough and I climbed into her pill cupboard and I tried to commit suicide. But it was while I was in the process of uh, taking some pills. And the silly thing was, instead of just opening up a... Um, a bottle of pills and taking those tablets, I didn't want to get caught. Here I am trying to take my life, but I don't want to get caught, so I'm taking a pill from each of the different bottles. And there were plenty of bottles in the cupboard. Uh, but partway through, I thought to myself, they're going to be happy when I'm gone. And I thought, what in the world am I making them happy for? And it was that because I got so angry at that point, thinking that I was doing what everybody else had wanted me to do, all the people who didn't care for me, I got angry. And that's uh, stopped me from uh, taking any more of the pills. And I then lived with anger up until uh, my uh, late teens. And uh, that was how I survived. And I realized that when people talk about having a particular emotion is wrong, no, we are a combination of all of our experiences. We experience every anger, but it's how we use that anger. And that's what I learned along the way that having the anger kept me alive. But to use that anger and take it out on other people, then that would be wrong. So if you'll feel every emotion. You decide how you're going to use that emotion. 
and use it in a positive way, even anger has its place. You came along and you uh, threatened my family. I tell you what, I'm not turning the other cheek. I'm going to get angry in return. I'm going to protect them. So there is no wrong emotion. It's how you use the emotion. And that's one of the things that I learned back then. And that's uh, stayed with me all my life. And as I said, I'm about to turn 70. So that's over 60 years that I've, uh, I've learned that and I've lived with uh, that knowledge all the way through. Does, um, in terms of, you know, like um, you, you were quite young, as you said, and do you feel you were already carrying, you know, a kind of the weight of life on your shoulder? You know, like how, you know, like how come, you know, how do you get to that point? Well, as I said, being bullied at, uh, at uh, school and then at home, you know, my sister and I never really spoke. She was two and a half years older than me. I, my mother was um, a very uh, efficient woman. She was a carpenter. She learned to do everything on her own. She wasn't going to have a man around after dad had died. And so she was very competent. And because of that, she was fairly direct. So I got a lot of um, uh, boundaries put in place and everything else. And thankfully, I had those boundaries because if I hadn't had those, I could have gone down the wrong paths. But it was the fact that there was so much there and no one to talk to, no one to share it with. As I said, my uncle didn't really uh, like me at all when I was growing up and actually told my fiance what he told her uh, at our uh, engagement party. So always feeling that I was on my own. I guarantee a lot of people who are listening to this are probably saying that, yeah, they've felt on their own as well. And when you're there and you can't see there's a solution, you think this is all that's going to happen, this is all you're going to get for the rest of your life, you think, why bother? Well, as I said, I was lucky that I got angry. I had that realisation because if I hadn't had that realisation at that moment, I wouldn't be here today. I would have finished taking all of those pills. And so, you know, that pressure, it doesn't matter how old you are because, again, you might say, oh, but a young child, you know, why should you feel that way? Well, you've only got the knowledge that you got at that age. And because I had limited knowledge, there was no way that I could find a solution. If I had those same issues today, it's like a water off a duck's back with the knowledge I have now. And this is the whole thing that realising that if your kids have gone quiet, something's going on. If they're acting out, there's something going on because kids don't try and break the parents. They'll push you in that to see if you can hold. They want you to work out what's going on. They need you to be able to understand them. and. I didn't have any of that. So I felt totally alone. And that's why I got to that uh, point of desperation. In my uh, later years, it would have been um, in my late 30s, when I was still trying to learn to understand people, I had some, because uh, my group at, in uh, telecom grew really quickly, the organisation I worked in. And uh, I had a couple of people there who were always a pain. They always had their knife in my back. And I Got that depression, couldn't get the management to uh, help out at all, felt totally alone, went home. My wife didn't want to know about it, and I um, developed depression. But again, I found that uh, when I did finally find someone I could just sit and talk to, not somebody who would give me solutions, but somebody who would just sit and hold my space and listen to me, that um, I then realised that I was able to talk and work through and understand more about myself in those conversations which is another reason why I run the Campfire Project now for those men and women 
to be able to come along and share their stories because we don't need to be counselled in a lot of cases. We just need to be heard. As I say to people, we've got two eyes and two ears and one mouth. Use them in that proportion. And if somebody is telling you their, uh, what's going on in their life, listen to them, watch their body language, pick up all the nonverbals. But when you do ask, open your mouth, ask questions. Ask them to clarify more. And when they tell you more about that, then ask them, you know, what I'm getting is this, is this right? Ask them more questions then. So the more that you listen to somebody and hold that space for them, this is how you help people who are going through uh, uh, pressures and stresses. So if anybody feels that they relate to what I've been saying about myself, what I went through and they're going through it now, reach out for somebody who can hold that space. As I say, in uh, uh, the biggest problem we have today is when somebody is talking about the issues they've got, the people around them, on average, it's 19 seconds before they jump in and try and give them advice. You know, they're only telling you their opinion about how it would affect them. They're not telling you about you. So if somebody really wants to help you, stop and listen and don't give suggestions. Ask questions so that the person you're talking to is going through stress can find their own solutions. As I said, when I uh, was climbing into that uh, pill cupboard, it was in my inner voice that was talking to me, asking me, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you making these people happy? That I then, because the voice had said to me, don't do this, I probably would have kept doing it. But because the voice was, why are you doing this? Why are you trying to make people uh, happy who are making your life miserable? Uh, that's when I uh, found my answer and I stopped. What would uh, 70 year old Alan tell you, you know, like your, your young, the, the young version of you? while picking, you know, like the, the, the file cabinet? Well, one of the things I have learned along the way is that the most important thing I'll ever learn is the next thing I learn after I think I know everything. So I always keep an open mind. But there's an old Arab saying that um, trust everybody but lock up your camels at night, which virtually means why well, I interpret that when I look at uh, learning new things. I mean, my thing to my younger self would have always been, yes, listen to uh, coaches, find out as much as you can, learn as much as you can, but keep your own counsel on that. Take uh, what everybody has told you and work it out for yourself. Does this really fit you? Because one of the things, because I was so desperate to uh, uh, move forward and find myself, I listened to everybody. All the, And what I realized later on, it was nothing but their opinion based on their personal uh, situations, their experiences and their biases, it was not based on me. So, yes, listen to what other people have got to say, but work it out for yourself. Ask yourself, if what this person just told me, is this really me? Is it uh, they're really talking about themselves? There's an old saying, when somebody points at you with that one extended finger, there are three fingers pointing back. So when somebody's giving you advice, one of the things I would have said to myself Listen to the advice, but ask yourself, is this advice that's really for you or is this advice that that person should be taking themselves? And if I'd done, did that, I would have uh, grown up a lot clearer in my uh, thinking. And, uh, and what, you know, like, what is the name of, you know, like the, the coaching you offer? Well, it's not so much a, a name of coaching. My business is under my personal name, which is Alan Stevens. That's Alan with one L, A-L-A-N, and Stevens, S-T-E-V-E-N-S. Uh, the website's .com.au for Australia. You'll find a lot of information in there. But um, 
the main thing is that uh, uh, it's this, I've taken uh, four different skills and ter- turned them into um, or four sciences, the body language, the micro expressions, the facial features, uh, the NLP, the language, and I've turned it into an art form. So I, what I do is a science and art of reading people, but uh, the business I run is human pattern recognition and the process is rapid trait profiling. So with uh, coaching people with rapid trait profiling to build stronger relationships in their lives for whatever reason uh, or any area of their life that they have. So it's not a, a, a particular uh, like life coaching or uh, people give it a lot of different names. Um, I just ask people, do you want to build a stronger relationship? And whatever I uh, teach them is designed for them, not off the shelf. So I don't have a one uh, package fits all. I always uh, spend time listening, as I said, two eyes, one, uh, two ears and one mouth. Listen, find all the information that's uh, about them, finding out and working out exactly what they need and then design something around that for them. And uh, I'm guessing that you, you, based on kind of the, the, it's an umbrella of tool that you've developed through the years, so you, you, your approach makes it that you can meet with any kind of problematic. That's it. So for a number of years, I was also a massage therapist, aromatherapist, I'd worked with uh, sound therapies and color therapies, and in fact, sound therapies and color therapies I introduced into the Singapore hospital for kids with ADHD. Um, and so I've uh, worked in a lot of different modalities. So it's not a, you know, some people will go and learn NLP or they'll go and learn a psychometric profiling platform, and then that's the answer to everything as far as they're concerned. I go, no, uh, there are no two people on the planet who are the same. Everybody's uniquely different, so I need to find out as much as I can about that person and then open up my toolkit with all the tools in it and pull out the tools that best fit their situation. And if I don't have those tools, then my job is to find somebody else who can look after them as quickly as possible uh, without wasting their time and uh, move them on to their solutions. So when you put the other person first, you're always going to uh, be looking at what tools should I use in this situation or should I pass them to somebody else who's got better tools or a different set of tools that would work with that person uh, and vice versa. Well, Alan, this was a great conversation we just had. You know, like it's, um, you know, I, I, I we could have like hours of conversation around, you know, like so many different topics I feel. Um and, you know, just don't want to go all over the place for people mm-hmm. to at least have, you know, like, you know, just perceive, you know, like what you can do and how you could help them and, and, and make sure that people, if they need to reach, reaches out to you and, um, and, and our, our conversation around, you know, like the pandemic and, you know, like the workplace and all that, um, is quite eye opening and, you know, um, it, it's always in the back of my mind on how people are going to behave in the future uh, after all of these events. And um, and I'm still, you know, like I'm still uh, super intrigued on, you know, like what what is the, you know, what is the thought of the people around me about this uh, about this subject? So uh, it was great conversation to have. 
and um and finally i'm gonna ask you like where can people find you you know like the the you know like just so that people uh are able to reach out if they need to well the best place is if they go to my website which is alanstevens.com.au for australia it's alan a-l-a-n and stevens s-t-e-v-e-n-s i always direct people first of all to uh as I said before, you, you check everything out for yourself. Now, I can talk all day about what I do and it can sound quite impressive, but I always say go and have a look at the website, have a look at the success story page, and that's where you'll hear from other people, which will give you an idea of all the areas where this can, can work and how that might work for you. And then if you like that, just hit the uh, the contact button there and send me a message and I'll happily uh, uh, have a chat with you and see uh, find out about your situation and uh, point you in the direction that best suits you. Well, this was a great time, Alan. Really, thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. Um, I recommend everyone to go check out the website and you know make sure that uh, you reach out to if you need. So uh, thanks for your time, Alan. Really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Now, one other thing on that website, if you put the forward slash after it and the word free, F-R-E-E, uh, everybody can download a free course, which takes them 28 minutes, which will give them a couple of tips on how to read personalities, but also where the eyes move when someone's sourcing information. That's a gift for all the people who are listening to this podcast. Awesome. So alanstevens.com.au slash free, and um, you can actually pick up uh, some free material from Alan. It's um, a free 28-minute course. It'll give them a, a, a few tips that uh, they'll be able to use straight away. Really appreciate it, Alan. Really, um, you know, uh, I wish you the best. Um, and um, it was a pleasure speaking with you. Well, thank you very much, Alex. I've really impre- enjoyed it with you. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.